Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Mantle, as always, the former England fast bowler, Steve Harmison. We'll reflect on a poignant test match, a memorable one for all who were there at the Oval as England ended their summer with six wins from seven. Their best return in 18 years. We'll get the take of England captain Ben Stokes. As well as that, England bowler Mark Wood joins us to discuss the upcoming tour of Pakistan and the release of his brand new book, The Wood Life. South African legend Sean Pollock reflects on a series defeat for the Proteas. We'll also touch on the latest with, uh, from the county championship. Aaron Finch's retirement from ODI cricket. A look back at a successful Asia Cup campaign for Chris Silverwood and Sri Lanka. And much more. Plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Someone who dedicated their life to the to the nation is something that we take incredible inspiration from. It felt special. Um, it felt like a really special morning to be a part of. We are honoured to be able to, to walk out on the field in memory um, of the Queen. There's a few nervy characters walking down the steps, um, but no, it was it was really special to to be able to sing that on at this sport event. To be able to sing the national anthem uh, with a full house, just about to represent your country, was brilliant, and I'm, I feel really glad that whoever decided but put this game on. Tommy, you were there um, for a, a remarkable first uh, th- three days. Uh, well, it's remarkable five days, really. Even though nothing happened on the first two days, it was rained out, washed out on day one. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II passed away, and uh, day two was cancelled. But when things got underway on Saturday morning, it was um, a, a moment um, a, and a memory that I'd likened to. Um, the only other time I, uh, at a sporting occasion I've experienced anything like it was Nelson Mandela walking out to Ellis Park for the uh, final of the Rugby World Cup in 1995 and the hush, the silence I mean the sound of silence the sound of 25,000 people observing 
three or four minutes of, of silence and then to hear God Save the King, whether you're a monarchist or a royalist or whatever your views are, it was an occasion that I'll, I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, 100%, absolutely. And it's, it, was a weird, it was a weird week, to be honest, from the emotion point of view, right at the very start. Um, got into, remember getting into London, you know, early in the morning. So on the on the Thursday morning, which was um, ready for the test match, but it was obviously damp. It was wet. We were expecting a bit of rain. The, the longer it rained, you were thinking we're not going to get any play today. And then, as the day went on, we were hearing rumours. A lot of the newsreaders turned into sort of the other black suits knew there was something coming. Um, and I thought at one point we were going to get some play. And I think at that point, when the sun came out, a lot of people scratching their heads going, why are we not playing? And I think at that point we knew that obviously there was going to be bad news in this country. Um, and then I found myself, and I'm talking about me personally here, my whole range of emotions of, obviously I am, I, I do like the Royal Family and I've met the Queen what, on four or five times, which I hold with, a huge amount of pride, especially as an international sportsman. You stand there before a ball's bowl and your national anthem comes and you sing God Save the Queen for what service that remarkable woman has given to this country. I mean, the country stood still for a bit. I remember being in TalkSport on Friday and I went by, I, I was staying in Victoria and I went back via the palace. I got on the tube and I mean, it was it was, it was night, it was half eight at night and I had to walk around Buckingham Palace, the pit the, itself, the queues were a huge, were miles long to see, you know, the gates of where all the flowers were. And I found myself lump in the throat, and there you go. And then when you talk about lump in the throat, we play cricket on Saturday morning, and you're right, the hush of 25,000 people. The deafening noise for me mm. was, you know, when you stand up and then the seat just pops back up and there's a thud. That was the thing for me. That was the noise. It was ridiculous, the noise of that. Being outside, I'll stand next to Goffey and, and Graham Swan. We were looking at each other. And it's the first time I've ever known Graham Swan speechless. He couldn't speak. It was like like mouth open. They were just looking at each other. And then then he stood next to me and belted out, God save the king. I knew his voice was back. And Laura, who sang it, was unbelievable. I then looked around and thought, this is right to carry on. Because on Friday, in TalkSport, with Simon, uh, Simon Jordan and Jim, and then with Adrian doing drive, which was a, a real humbling experience, I was flip-flopping, falling off the fence so many times. I think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea. Should the football carry on? Should the rugby carry on? Should the cricket carry on? Well, at 10.55 on Saturday morning, I read the realisation that sport should have carried on because of Laura sang that, God save the King, unbelievably well. And the way that the respect that both teams shown I thought it was a. It was like you, like you say. This was, this was where was I on this moment? Well, uh, what I would say from a former professional sportsman, from a former England cricketer, I was so proud to be at the Oval on that very, very morning, and I, I'm adamant that the right thing happened, and sport, sport was right to carry on, and cricket did a did um, did a, a, a huge job to pay respect. You are, of course, an MBE, and uh, and as you said, I mean, there was the 2005 Ashes, and you met um, the Queen after that, uh, and you you met her four or five times. Um, I, I guess when you've, um, you know, most people never met her once, um, so you would have got a sense of um, of the 
personality or the character that she was? Did you did you exchange a few words? Have, have a, a chat? Um, not really. The, the, obviously, she's got great people around her who give her information about where you're from and what you what you do. And and in 2005, you don't, we did, you didn't go up when you went for MBE. We didn't go up as individuals. We went up in threes. So there was, I think we went in alphabetical order. I think it was me, Hoggy, and Jilo that went up together. You stand, you know, you walk forward, you bow, you receive your medal, you back pedal because you don't turn your back on the queen. You bow again, and then you. Slowly, sort of go down down the side, and I think she asked about my children who were with me at the time at Buckingham Palace. That was which was great, great. My, I mean, I'm never tweets. Very rarely do I go on social media, but I did tweet the picture of 2005 with Her Majesty and the picture of my my kids. So Emily and Abby, who were about five or six at the time, um, Tilly and Anders, Giles, sort of doing ring a ring of roses in the music room as though they were playing in the garden of you know, one of our houses and not in Buckingham Palace. It was it was amazing. And then a few years ago, nearly 10 years ago now, Jack Charlton, 75-year-old, you have to relinquish deputy lieutenant um, of of the county. And there's quite a few deputy lieutenants, DLs of, of, of all counties, and Jack had to relinquish that because obviously he had hit, hit the age of 75. And um, Alan Shearer, uh, Glenn McCrory, both sort of put my name forward to be Deputy Lieutenant of Northumberland. And every Remembrance Sunday, sending thoughts around the country, the, the first person to lay a wreath is always on behalf of Her Majesty the Queen. Um, and I do that in Ashington or in Newbigin, and I'm the first to go up. And on the, on the, on the ticket, on the, on the label, it's always said that Steve Armisen um, lays this wreath on, on behalf of the fallen heroes of Her Majesty the Queen. I never miss that because the the amount of pride that I get in just learning this, doing this one thing, is something that I treasure with with all my all my heart, and that's how much I, you know, respected and and loved the you know the great lady, and you know, sad that it was gonna it was inevitable. Everybody you know passes away, but ninety six, she gave great service, and and so they're my memories of of, of being or being in the company or having any dealings with with Her Majesty the Queen. Moving on to the cricket, I think, um, look, obviously South Africa batted first on a pitch which had been under covers for 48 hours. It had sweated, it was seeming all over the place, conditions were extremely difficult. But I'd just like to say that in that first hour, drinks were taken to South Africa at 35 for 5 and they were very soon 36 for 6. And I, I would like to say that I'm absolutely 100% convinced that uh, the sense of occasion overwhelmed them and uh, they weren't uh, able to, to gather themselves there were lots and lots of other factors as well like I said um, the pitch was uh, a bowler's dream um, they had uh, had 11 days off uh, they chose to play golf at the Belfry rather than play a two day practice match which was offered to them so there were lots of factors that contributed towards South Africa's demise they lost the test match inside the first hour I believe um, and I think uh, a, a lot of it was not only South Africa being overwhelmed but Ben Stokes and the England team absorbing that extraordinary energy that there was um, in in the in the ten minutes before that Test match started. I mean, every, never mind my forearms, hair was standing up all over my body um, before the game started, and and England were able to harness it and channel it, and they just blew South Africa away. I mean, the series was over. The series was decided after an hour. Yeah, it was hundred percent. I totally agree with with everything you said and. Uh, I know we'll hear from from Dean Elgar 
I don't think he was too complimentary towards. He, he didn't give England any praise whatsoever. I thought that was strange, but it didn't surprise me because some of the comments that he's made so far this summer, um, I thought England, yeah, were absolutely spot on with the areas that they bowled front up. Robinson was magnificent. Broden Anderson were, were magnificent. Um, but I remember how, because I was working with I was working with Goffey. I stood next to Goffey just after the anthems, and I said, "England will have a lead tonight." And he like looked at me and laughed. I went, "England will have a lead tonight. These aren't very good. I, I, you know, he can sugarcoat whatever he want. See the toss doing this, and Elgar can say whatever he want. The batting units on both sides weren't great. You can say that there was bowler friendly conditions, but application." Technique, discipline, determination to beat your opponent, i.e. bat versus ball, wasn't there on either side, I don't think, too much, other than Stokes' 100 at, at, um, at Old Trafford. But I think England got it right. And then and then at lunchtime, I, I even went one further. I said, Ovia might bag them. He might get two noughts in a day here. If we, have a, if we have a full day's play, he might get two noughts in a day here because I'm not backing England. As much as they are going to get a lead, I don't think England... Well, back to the out as well, because South Africa bowlers are every bit as good as England's bowlers. The conditions suited. Um, and I think if, if it wasn't for bad light or the rain coming, I think South Africa would have had another bat that night. So I think it just shows you that the ball dominated the bat in this series and champion cricketers of Broad Anderson really come to the fore. And I think they, they, they didn't want to be... I think they wanted to make sure that the end of this summer was as good as the start of this summer, because a lot of people questioned when they went the, when they didn't go to the West Indies about are they durable to play? Can they play all summer? Are they going to be as you know the aging bodies? Well, a 36-year-old and a 40-year-old bowled very, very well at the start of the summer, and a 36 and a 40-year-old bowled even better at the end of the summer. And no question marks about selection. Ron Anderson, they were right to be brought back in. And to win the next test match, you pick the best team. And that mantra from the start of Stokes and McCollum, stuck, they've stuck with it, and that's why they've been successful. Yeah, well, South Africa's batting is one pig you can't put lipstick on, that's for sure. Um, you mentioned uh, Dean Elgar, and he is at the top of that order, and this is what uh, that comment you were referring to. I actually thought they played relatively good test cricket. I don't, I don't think they played extraordinary cricket. I thought they played the correct tempo, and they... And when their tail was up, they were they were striking when they had to strike. But that's just general good awareness of Test cricket. I don't think it was out of the ordinary. They, when their tail was up, they they seeked a moment and they and they went for it. Um, so I didn't think they played ultra aggressive cricket. I just think they played a really good tempo of cricket, uh, something that you can manage and control when you're when you, when you're ahead of the game. Um, so I didn't see that that B word at all. Um, coming through or, um, yeah, I just, I really felt they controlled it well and they, they played what the game des- deserved at that point in time. Um, and this is throughout the whole series. That was uh, Dean Elgar, a prickly sounding Dean Elgar. Um, less prickly and understandably so was England captain Ben Stokes. It's quite hard not to be pleased when you finish off a summer of seven tests and, and coming out on the right side in six of them. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of credit has got to go to, to everyone involved in English cricket this summer, from the, the players to the management to the backroom staff, because, you know, it's not just about the 11 guys out on the field who you sort of have to believe and buy into to a new way of playing. It's about everybody around you, you know, the 
um, the, the language that gets spoken in the dressing room by everybody, you know, the coaches, the way in which they work with all the players as well. So, you know, this has been a, a huge collective sort of, you know, responsibility put on everyone this summer and everyone's dived into it. Um, and everyone's, you know, really taken to it like a duck to water, I would say. Ben Stokes reflecting on a comprehensive nine-wicket victory for England um, and a series win, another series win. Uh, six out of seven test matches, a brilliant, brilliant summer and an extraordinary turnaround in England's test fortunes. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison as we continue to look back at England's series victory over South Africa. And I'm delighted to say, as promised at the top of the show, we're joined live now by England fast bowler Mark Wood. So much to talk about the T20 World Cup squad, the the endless um, T20 series in Pakistan, both of which uh, involve Mark, so much uh, to get through, but I have to start with the Test match, uh, Woody. Thanks for your time. Um, not just the Test match, the series um, and, and the summer. Six wins out of seven. I know, amazing. Can't believe how uh, how well they've done. Obviously, from the track record that would have before this summer, things were were not looking great. And results wise, I mean, it had been a difficult time, but I didn't think the turnaround would be as quick where we've put so many results together. Um, it was I was lucky enough to beat the Oval in the in the uh, dressing room. Brendan McCollum and Stokes invited me in. I did some bowling and things there. I couldn't believe how sort of calm the dressing room was and how you know clearer the message was. And I remember Stokes before the before the game when they tossed on day one. He sort of said, "Look, no matter what happens here, we're winning or we're losing." It wasn't a case of you know we're sitting in for draws or there's weather around. It was look, we're going to entertain people here. The result doesn't matter. I just want you to go out there and give the give it as good as you've got. So good messages to, to send the lads. And Mark, the, the previous regime, I don't think we can downplay or upplay as much as what sort of the, the euphoria of what's happened six out of seven. But was it the right person coming in at the right time because of what COVID was and what it, what it did to your team compared mm-hmm. to what Stokes and McCullum are, as in individuals and characters, with the release of COVID after COVID, was it the simple to a coach and a captain coming in with the right mentality for the situation at the time? Yeah, I think it's not just the captain and the coach. You know, Rob Keys come in. I think there's been like a whole freshness across the, the whole board. Like we've got new people at the top on the board, um, new director of cricket, new coach, new captain. So it's it's total blanket of overhaul, total new look at things and a different approach. And, you know, that's the beauty in life, isn't it? Everybody has a different way of doing things or a different way of looking at things. And, and Stokes and McCullum's is very much, you know, quite simple, actually, but it, it works. It reminds us a little bit. I know they're different characters, but a little bit of, of Trevor Bayless, where he used to just say things. He didn't say very much, but when he did speak, everybody would sort of listen. And, um, you know, it's definitely got that feel with McCullum and Stokes and the fact that the, the message is dead clear all the time and just not very long. Promote within the group. Everybody is is given responsibility Everybody is given sort of a license to entertain, to to express themselves, and that was very much how it felt like when Trevor came in. But you know, like you say, not a downplay what had gone before because I think I really did get on well with Spoons myself, Chris Silverwood. I really think he did a good job. It's great to see him doing well with Sri Lanka. They just won the Asia Cup, so I'm delighted for him um, as well. But the way that English cricket's going, the direction that we're going, it's, it's quite exciting actually. I feel a little bit sorry for Joe Root because um, you can only drive the bus you're you're given as captain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, 
And I, I, I don't know if it's him or if he's happy not to have me in the team. Maybe it's actually me. It's not being Jerus. We meet. I'm the problem. But um, I was really, um, you know, I think when it started to wear on him personally, that's obviously time for for it to go. But he seems like in the in the dressing room, he's his normal cheeky self. He's back to you know being life and soul the dressing room again. So um, it probably just weighed on him a lot towards the end. But to do what he does best at scoring runs, I think again having this sort of atmosphere. It doesn't really affect him. He sort of plays that way anyway. You know, he keeps the scoreboard ticking without having to get out of the second and third gear. It feels like at times. So it naturally, you know, free him up. And rather than the weight of expectations on his shoulders all the time, it now seems like everybody um, is contributing, which is which is great for him as well. I'll stick with the test team because obviously it's six out of seven being a fantastic summer. Um, we've always been able to take 20 wickets in England. You're going to be fit for Pakistan, hopefully fit for the test matches. It's a different challenge, different surfaces, different ball. How much are you looking forward to sort of helping this team? Because as Braun Anderson are as, as so crucial in England, pierce through the air and quick bowler in subcontinent is every bit as important, the most important tool that you can get. And where are you in your situation when it comes to fitness? And I watched you bowl this week from a distance, and I thought you you looked as though you were charging in, and and had a you know had a real sort of you know purpose to where to where your action was in the in the in the, the, the sort of twenty minutes spell I seen you bowl in the mornings of the uh, test match. Yeah, I feel great. Um, things have happened much quicker this time from an injury point of view. The first time obviously didn't go well; it didn't quite go right, or it wasn't quite fixed. I've gone in the second time, and it, everything's happened a lot quicker. I feel you know back to how I felt before. The only difference was I was born with a red ball at the Oval and it's definitely not going to swing that much with a white ball in the 2020 World Cup. So um, <laughs> I, I, it was nice to see a few carrying through the mid, but it very rarely goes through the way to keep when you're blowing the white ball. So I'm not sure I'll have to get used to that too much. But from my own perspective, yes, I feel good. Going into the test matches, hopefully if I'm selected for Pakistan, I'm excited because actually I feel like that that area of the world is where I can I can really contribute with being a short guy, skiddy, um, and, and I like bowling with reverse swing. So that's the sort of area where I feel like I can really contribute. That excites me. My record in England isn't isn't great. With the looking at the type of bowlers we've got for England, we've got that much depth in that department that maybe actually when we go away from home, you know, the responsibility where I feel like I can step up and really add something that um that's what you know drives me. So I really hope that when we get abroad and um I can try and get back in that team and push ahead of some other guys, if I can, if they feel like my type of bowling can suit those conditions. You don't feel intimidated by the surfaces in Pakistan. You look at those three tests uh, between Pakistan and, <laughs> and Australia. I mean, there's like a, a smooth pavement with a bit of dust sprinkled on it. You know, you've got Pat Cummins running in and bowling 50 overs in a test match. Uh, there'll be a few people going, don't do that to Mark Wood. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been working on my leggies in my office as well, so I've got an old basis covered, really. Now, I think... Like like you say, it'll be hard work, but in a way, I, I, I like that. I like to pride myself on charging in as much as I can, and, and that's what I feel I can offer the team. You know, maybe when there's a green seam on one day, they might say, "Oh, Woody, this might be for you." But for now, I'll stick with them flat beds in Pakistan. And um, how did you feel? Obviously, it's been a frustrating summer for you without very much cricket at all. Um, but once you were fit, you know, um, there was a, a huge vote of confidence in you I mean were you were you expecting or hoping or expecting to be in the T20 squad and going to Pakistan and you know it was like a sort of a you know for once it was a question of just it seemed like the England were just waiting for you to get fit and then you were straight back 
Yeah, uh, I didn't expect this, to be honest. I think I was more hoping. Um, obviously, because I haven't played any cricket, what have they got to base it on? And, you know, from the my 2020 record, has been OK. I didn't do great in the last World Cup, obviously. But before that, I've done I've done all right for England in 2020 cricket. So, you know, when you have a new captain as well, Morgie was my last captain that I played under. So now we've got a new captain in Joss. So it's nice to, to know that he still values, I think, I, I think I can um, contribute well to the team. It's nice as well having these Pakistan games first because it means I'm probably not going to play very many of them, only maybe two or three, but it's a nice building to then go to Australia, you know, play a few games, get them under my belt, get rid of whatever rustiness or match fitness that I haven't got. And then I can really step it up when we when we get to Australia. So I'd hoped that I was going to get in. Um, you know, Gleason had come in and done really well. He's reserved. We've got Tamal Mills. He's a reserve. At one point, it was looking like Joffre was well on course. He'll not be far away in the new year. So we've got plenty of fastballers, all of us, uh, Ollie Stone, so there's plenty of fastballers kicking around, so it's nice to know that you know I'm still amongst it and, and hopefully you can still get the nod. Come on to the World T20 in a second, but Pakistan is such a it's a huge tour. You know, the lads weren't that keen going last year, and probably understandable. But after Australia went, I think the safety element of it was was proven. Keezy actually commentated on that series, so he know what it was like. It's important about the sort of ambassador role of English cricket that this tour goes ahead and it goes well because I was on the last tour of Pakistan. It was 2005, shows you how long, how long it's been since since yeah, England's been there. But it's important for world cricket that England go to Pakistan and the tour be a success. Absolutely. I think, you know, they came during COVID times to, to help the ECB out and keep cricket on the on the map in this country. Um, it's, it's time that we went back there and, you know, I'm sure it's just as exciting over in Pakistan as it is sort of in India the, the type of fans that you get and how much they love that cricket so they'll be desperate to see England come again I don't think I could get any more Percy Pigs in my suitcase um, I've packed for, <laughs> for every eventuality um, no matter what, what happens I've got, I've got plenty of food in there so um, I'm looking forward to getting over there and, and, and seeing what it's, what it's all about like you like you know Harmy what it's like over there so I've only heard things from other people I've never toured there myself so I'm excited from a safety point of view we have um, you know, Reg Dickerson, who is a guy I know you've dealt with uh, before, Harmy, he's the chief security guy with the ECB. And as much as if you've got an injury, you'll trust the physio and the doctor when it comes to the safety. You know, I trust this guy. He's been around a long time and he's somebody that, you know, I value his opinion. If he says it's good to go, then um, we'll all be there. Okay. Um, apart from that stumble just there, I think it's widely accepted that you've got a great career ahead of you as an after-dinner speaker and as a commentator. And I, ju- I did wonder, I have to tell you, um, whether your um, sense of humour and your, your speaking skills would translate uh, successfully into a book. Now, the good news is that I went to two bookshops to have a glance through um, to have, have a look at it, and I couldn't find it. So um, that's that's great. I think it must be selling well. The Woodlife, t- tell us about it. Are you? I mean, I, I, I did find a copy, and I have to say, Woody, honestly, I laughed out loud twice, um, and then I realised that the, the person in the bookshop was um, expecting me to buy it, so I put it back on the shelf, and I'm waiting for a free copy from you. But oh, how am I? Put it back. How did it come about, and are you happy with the result? And is it selling well? Uh, yeah, so it officially comes out on the 15th, so not long. Um, people have been pre-ordering and, uh, and asking. I've given a copy to my to my mum and dad. That's probably the only one. My dad still hasn't read it. My mum has. She's not very happy with some things in it already, so I may have to go back and tweak a few things. She's never happy, but um, look, it was great fun. It came about with just basically 
somebody put it forward to me and said, look, we, we think about doing something different. I didn't think I could do an autobiography or anything like that. Well, it wouldn't sound very good. If it was, I played cricket, I got injured. I played cricket, I got injured. That wouldn't be a good read. So I had to do something a little bit different. And we did it in a sort of spoof, sort of self-help kind of way. If you want to learn, you know, how to, I guess, the cricket bit, how to go fast. If you want to learn anything else, how to, um, I've done a best man speech a few times, how to write a good best man speech, how to kill time in the dressing room, um, how to love. I've got stuff in there from my wife who was more than happy to tell tales about me, which uh, I'm not very happy about, but there we go. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was fun doing. The guy I did it with, Bish, um, sports uh, journalist, he, he would ring me up when we were on tour in Australia. Um, and during COVID times and that, it was nice to do it because it broke up the day and things like that. So uh, we did it over a long period of time. Of course, your very own Stephen Harmison, he he contributed to the book as well. Um, and I'm hoping Harmy is going to do the audio book as well. So we're going to have two Ashton twangs in there um, just just for, for all the viewers. But Harmy was great. And um, obviously someone I speak about, he was somebody, somebody that I looked up to as a young kid. So um, I was, I was honoured that he would speak in my book as well. The funny thing, the funny thing is, man, is you know the same two Ashen lads have done a book. I think most of us have just finished colouring in our first ones. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's a So when you look at it, when you look at it in in theory and reality, it's amazing that two two kids from Ashton have actually wrote books. But the, my my funny one was when he actually did it. You'd speak into a dictaphone for about 35, 36 hours. You put it in the computer, and there you go. It comes up. Unfortunately. Uh, John Woodhouse, who did mine, who was absolutely brilliant, his, his didn't understand Geordie, so he had to type up the whole thing. So it, the, the transition wasn't great. So it's a bit like this conversation now. Me and Mark have got you know, very, very good uh, outside Ashington voices, but when we speak to each other, we turn into an Ashington twang and say, you know, and you know, things and this, that, and the other, that comes with it. So when it comes to a, an audio book, that could be quite interesting for people to <laughs> hear. Does it come with translation or anything like that? But when it comes to it, when you write a book, it means you've achieved something. It means you've done something good with your life and you are a character and you have got something special. And Mark, you've got that more than anything else. And I think, you know, this book is a, is, is fantastic it's great that you know Vish has, has done a, a wonderful job and you know I've always said it was something for your kids to to to, to sort of look back on in, in in future days but the one thing I will say is from this book is you have got an autobiography to write and I still think there's a lot of chapters to come and hopefully that one will be Pakistan World T20 that comes that comes with it the World Cup and World T20 is going to be huge to win the World Cup in a 50-over competition, massive. I know Morgan's not there, but what do you think, just to finish up, what do you think it's going to take to get you over the line in Australia to win the World T20? So, obviously, it's been staged in Australia. You think of big boundaries. You think of, we've got a powerful batting lineup. It might take smart cricket, not necessarily blasting cricket. Um, you know, when we play in England or, or we play in India, there can be small grounds and your, your batting lineup, you're looking at our batting lineup thinking, well, no boundaries big enough. But Australia, they push them right the way back. So that's going to be probably the biggest challenge. You know, can we post big totals uh, with the bat? Um, and then with the bowling lineup, you'd, you'd always look at England, especially in short form, and think, well, it's the bat and that's the strength. So the bowling lineup, we've got to step up now. And, and you know, it, it might take slightly different, maybe slower balls in the wicket instead of Yorkers all the time, because if they are big square, that's where we've got to look at. But I still think that when it comes to knockout cricket, we were disappointed with the semi final lost to, to New Zealand. They played very well, but we're still disappointed with that loss in, in Abu Dhabi. 
So we'll be able to put that right. And I think that gives us huge motivation. I'm, I'm sure Joss is very motivated. Matthew Mott, he knows the conditions well, obviously being an Australian. So um, there'll be a, a big desire and hunger to do well there. I think, you know, Alex Hale's coming back. He'll have a huge point of proven desire there as well. So we've got plenty of people with a point of proof. Woody, I know that uh, you've got an awful lot to do and you fly out on Wednesday. So thank you very much for your time. Best of luck. I've with told the, you the Percy pigs are already in the bag, man. I'm ready, <laughs> ready to go. At least you're not taking baked beans with you. <laughs> Thanks for your time, Woody. Yes, guys. That was the incomparable Mark Wood. What a character. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Next up in part three, we'll hear my interview with former South African all-rounder Sean Pollock as a good 12 months ends on a disappointing note for the Proteas. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast, now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcast. Hummy, um just before we hear from uh, Sean Pollock, uh, lots of questions uh, to ask you. Zach Crawley ended up with uh, yeah, unbeaten 69 and looked really, really good. Um, he looked as good as he did bad for most of the, the preceding summer. It was his first half century of the summer in, in his 13th innings. So you, your thoughts on on Zach Crawley? I, I'm, I'm, my mind's a scramble when it comes to Zach Crawley. I've got no idea what uh, what to make of it. Alex Lees, does he keep his place? Does Keaton Jennings come into the running Asia specialist? Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll answer those questions before we go on to uh, to the bowlers. Uh, Keaton Jennings goes to Pakistan for me. 
I think Alex Lees and Zach Crowley will both go now. Um, if you asked me before this test match, I thought neither of them would go. But I think the way Ben, Brendan, um, Rob Key have selected this group and selected this side, and then when you've just heard what Ben's got to say on the, you know, what's made this side good, um, which has been consistency of selection, backing their players, um, I think they'll both go. So, But it wouldn't surprise me if Jennings goes as well. And then they make a decision out there when they see the lay of the land, you know, how they're going, you know, in preparation for it. I think Duckett will go as well. I think they will be the two I would take on top of the team that's going. So the top six, take folks out of the equation, plus Jennings and Duckett, because Duckett can cover middle order, possibly cover top order if really, if needed. I think Lees is probably the one more vulnerable than Crawley because they don't seem to want to drop Zach. You know, they've, they've, they've stuck by him and he come good. And where I look at Zach Crowley in this innings is, it is all mental. It is. The whole thing about his game is mental. And I think for the first innings of a test match, he looks at his back lift, you know, possibly thinks about his position in the team. Am I driving? Should I be driving this one? Should I be driving it? Should I be hitting it? Should I be blocking it? Played an innings at Old Trafford where he tried to ride the storm, tried to block it and then build that innings that way. This one, second innings, it's different. He's got the score in front of him. And when we've seen him back well so far this summer, largely down to the fact that there's a score in front of you, a little bit like one-day cricket, we're going to go after it, um, get us off to a positive start. And that's what Zach's done in this, this game. So I think for me, it's more mental than it is technical. With Crowley, he has got, yes, technical deficiencies before people start shouting at me as I don't know what I'm talking about. He does play away from his body. His hands do get away from him. But I think when he's in the mindset of what he was in the second innings here, where there's a, England need 130, I'm going to put pressure on the bowlers. I think he's more suited when he knows the game's in front, how the game's in front of him. I think Josh Butler's like that when it comes to one-day cricket as well. Um, when the game's set up, he struggles between... So it gets caught between a rock and a hard place. And I think that's what Zach does in the first innings of test matches. When the game's set up and he can go at it, then I think it's a lot more it's a lot more clearer for him. Um, so I fully expect Crowley to be on the plane to Pakistan. I think if you and Lees deserves to be on the plane to Pakistan if you're going to take Crowley, because he's had a struggle this summer as every much as much as Zach has. But batting in England, batting in the top three, you know what? It is a difficult thing. It is a real, real difficult thing. So if you're getting backed by your coach and your team's winning, you have to sort of keep giving them a chance. And at this minute in time, I can see England picking the both, as well as probably Jennings and possibly Duckett as well. Okay, I just want to say um, that uh, this, in case anybody's wondering, this is South Africa's weakest batting lineup uh, post isolation, so from 1991. But I was told by a statistician who uh, specialises in these things that it might actually be their weakest batting lineup since 1898. But uh, they're quite they're quite difficult to measure. I mean, I think uh, I don't know what uh, bats were made of balsa wood back then. Anyway, I, just before I ask you about the bowlers, um, I, I actually want to um, remind you of something Ben Stokes said at the end of the Test match about Broaden Anderson. You keep picking people if they keep performing. Stuart Broad and James Anderson have, have done that, you know, for however long now. Um, they are the two guys that I turn to, Joe always turned to for something to break the game open and, you know, that spell 
um, in the after the lunch break yesterday, I think, where they came in and took those those wickets, really brought the game back into our favour. And you know, those guys stand up in the big moments. Um, and you know, if, if Brody wasn't to be playing, I think Davy Warner might sleep a little bit easier if you knew that. <laughs> so got to take that consideration. Okay, uh, I don't expect you to disagree at all. Um, I, again, I just wanted to point out that. Um, Stuart Broad has maintained a level of performance and output and success. Jimmy Anderson isn't as good as he was 10 years ago or five years ago. Jimmy Anderson's in a different kettle of fish because he seems to be getting better. And I think that's what's making Stuart good. As Jimmy's getting better, which is crazy to say because he's <laughs> he's close, he's, he's nearly 41. Because Jimmy's getting better, it's making Stuart better because Stuart's seeing... I was like, well, I'm supposed to be taking over from Jimmy. I'm the heir apparent to lead this bone attack. And he's raising the bar to such a level. It's like Stuart must get out of bed in the morning and go, come on, Jim, not again, not another Fifer, not again, because that means I've got to go and do it because everybody's talking about us both retiring and both us packing in. So if you get Fifer, I'm going to have to pull a performance out of the bag because I can't sort of go behind because I'm supposed to take your place when you re- end up retiring as leader of this attack. They're going together. Now, no doubt now, no doubt now they're going together. End of the ashes, that's it. Broad Anderson will continue till the end of Australia at home. And in this form, they are, we, they give us the best chance because that they do keep raising the bar. They do keep taking you know, the, the game to an extraordinary level when it comes to their performance their level of discipline, the way they conduct themselves. Um, and there are, we've, we've talked about Her Majesty the Queen and what it would what this country is going to be like when she's gone. You don't really know until till, till, till they have gone and what appreciation you've got for, for great people. And when you're talking about sport and you're talking about cricket in general, they are two of the greatest that we've ever had in this, in this country, arguably the greatest in the game. And England are going to get every ounce out of them Ben Stokes says, because I don't think we'll appreciate them until they've gone. Okay, just before we hear from Sean Pollock, final word on the World Test Championship. Um, South Africa could still qualify for the final. Uh, There are two ways of looking at that. One is that uh, it's an abomination and uh, a poor reflection on Test cricket that such a weak team could make the final. The other way of looking at it is uh, to think what an extraordinary achievement it would be. It's like winning a 100-metre race, hopping on one leg. They've got the best bowlers in the world and, and no batters. Uh, anyway, um, as promised, this is my chat with Sean Pollock. Sean, huge disappointment, obviously, for, for South Africa. Um, but but they've been papering over the cracks to a, to a degree for 18 months, haven't they? Yeah, I think it's always going to be about the batting. Um, bowling-wise, we've almost got a plethora of, of abundance uh, who we can come in. I mean, even guys who've gone home injured. So the 20 wickets is never going to be an issue for us. We, we've always thought about the fact that it's runs, and even in the toss in this last game, Dean was on about runs. That's maybe affected the selection of the side. But yeah, you, you've got to keep. It's extended now because you go down to the analysis of there's just been 300 since he's been captain. One of them was Quinney, who's no longer playing. Yes, he got a 90 something not out. But you got to get big hundreds. You got to get big scores. And you can't say much about the players. They're still relatively inexperienced. They've they've got average 50 first class cricket. But it's a big challenge to come here, and this was always going to be the biggest one. Like, if you're a middle-order batter and you go to India to bat against spin, you have to know what you're doing. Uh, when you come to, to England as a top-order batter, you've got to be able to deal with the swing and the movement, and um, I think it's been a real learning curve for them. 
people ask why, and people are saying, what, what, why? I mean, they think back to the era of, uh, I don't know, Smith, Callis, Amler, de Villiers, and they go, why didn't South Africa have any batsmen now? Yeah, it's, you know, it's actually sometimes easier just to identify what you're missing uh, rather than appreciate what you're actually experiencing. And I think at those times when you've got your de Villiers, your Amlers, your Smiths, um, your Callises, when they are getting runs, they're good and they're doing a brilliant job, but do you actually understand how good a job they're doing when it's on the go? Probably not, because it just seems like it comes naturally and they repeat in, in match after match after match. And it's only when you expose different guys, maybe some of the tours to India, we've also had a look and gone, oh, technically-wise, not the easiest thing to deal with when we get there. It is always going to be challenging here. I mean, Hana Kun, for example, came the last tour here, and, I mean, he really struggled at the top. So... As a pass player, you know that is your challenge. You know that's what you're going to be asked of you. And that's why from a distance, sometimes when selections are made, you go, Oof, I hope he goes all right, or I hope things run for him, because we look like he's going to be challenged. Let's talk England for a little bit, can we? Um, one win in 17, and now six out of seven. Mm, turned it around. I mean, it's, I think for them, the approach is almost the T20 of Test cricket. Um, <laughs> I think the opposition they've come up against also contributes to how you're able to play. Um, you know, if, if you're looking in rugby terms, like you can be expensive against certain teams and other teams you can try and be expensive and you'll be put to the sword. So I think the litmus test for them still goes down to when they tour away from England, um, how you pick up your 20 wickets without the Duke ball, whether that batting and being aggressive can work on surfaces like Pakistan where maybe it starts to turn. But you can't get me wrong, I mean, it's been thoroughly entertaining. The positiveness is just fantastic to see. Um, the only thing I would say is I haven't been overly impressed by the standard of test cricket that we've seen so far <laughs> this summer What about Ollie Robinson? I haven't seen somebody bowl like him since you oh, You've seen plenty Menace, come on um, I, I think uh, as I say, I think the juke ball is what's going to make him really effective um, his ability to understand what length to hit in England over all those years of county cricket he's worked it out and his consistency um, you know he had a hit the speed bump in his career where he had to go away and think about things and his attitude to come back bowling a little bit quicker being a bit fitter um, and still producing the skills that he was always capable of um, it's impressive though. you know in your international career you always face something um, it's how you bounce back from that and uh, he's done brilliant I've seen you off air shaking your head in disbelief at Jimmy Anderson at the age of 40 but l- <laughs> let's get your comments on the record yeah brilliant um, you've got to admire it uh, we had an interview with him yesterday and he's really appreciative of how short these test matches have been because <laughs> at 40, if you have to bowl 40 or 50 overs in a game, it could be a bit more challenging. But it's, there's never been any doubt about his skill. Um, the move to not play him away from home as much as they have and limit him to just the test matches um, has worked for him. Uh, he still looks as fit as ever and he's not lost a lot of his, his edge. You know, He's still got enough nip and, and speed to make things happen. And that control with the, with the Duke ball in particular is just exemplary. It's just to be admired. And finally, some big picture stuff, if I may. World Test Championship and the future of, of the, the Test game. Is the, is the Test Championship being held every two years the, the key to keeping Test cricket alive and healthy? When I've been on those committees and we've discussed um, relevance, you just want relevance to series. I mean, the big series, like when Australia play England and it's the Ashes, I mean, those have got real context. But it's sometimes when you play the lesser teams or maybe the most, not the most highly ranked sides, you want everything to just have a relevance to the, the ICC structure of, of 
test cricket over a period of time. So I think it is here to stay. Um, I still think it hasn't really gathered as much momentum as it can. It's just had the one final, and that was a COVID time final. So what crowds did we get in? Uh, you know, people were a bit restricted. Hopefully the next one and the next one to follow um, will create a bit more of a buzz around it and, and go from strength to strength. And the final question then, it's just a cyclical thing with South Africa at the moment. They've got a very good bowling attack and, and a weak batting lineup, and that'll come right yeah, in time. Teams run um, from time to time where you're searching for possibilities. I mean, guys have shown that they've got certain abilities and they will have learned a lot from this. Um, but I think that will be our challenge. I've made the point back in South Africa for a few years now that maybe we need to flatten our wickets that side. Uh, the bowlers will still be able to get your wickets and, and be able to win matches. But it's a period in South African cricket where we need to offer them like real quality surfaces that if they get their techniques right, they get themselves in, they can get big scores, earn confidence, learn how to play at the top level and then take it from there. That's former South African all-rounder Sean Pollock and one of the best in the business. Um, you're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. That's that uh, time of the show where we look at uh, what other stories from around the world and uh, in England uh, have caught our uh, our interest and uh, merit a talking point. Lots, actually. I've got that's such a long list. We can do an hour on this. Let's start with Chris Silverwood, shall we? Absolutely brilliant. I mean, he... Many felt that he was uh, made an unfair scapegoat um, for the Ashes debacle. I think he probably was made a scapegoat, actually. Um, and uh, he's an extremely popular man. And I think he's probably benefiting from from actually not being in the English system at, at the moment. You know, fresh, um, a, a fresh approach, fresh look, clean slate. Yeah, clean slate, brilliant. Uh, I'm over the moon for Spoons because he could have took, got his head down took whatever payment he got, gone and getting a county job, gone through the sort of treadmill of, of county cricket again, did well, took a team to the championship, and then people talk about him coaching England again. What he's done is the hardest thing. Go and coach an overseas team out of your comfort zone and prove not prove to anybody other than himself that he's a fantastic coach because he is a good coach. You don't get the England job if you're not a good coach. And he was made an escape goat, but unfortunately, when you lose the Ashes, somebody's got to be a four guy. It's never going to be Joe Root because he's the best player that arguably we've ever had. Ashley Giles copped it, but if you listen to Rob Key, who took his place, Rob Key, the first thing he says, you can't believe what these guys have gone through. Giles, Silverwood, Root. In two and a half years of the COVID world, to keep the game and, the, and to keep the, the sort of, you know, the train on the tracks, what these guys have gone through, so it's probably Silverwood and Giles who were the ones that were made the escape goat. And I'm over the moon for Chris Silverwood. He's got him, he's got him won the world the, the Asia Trophy with India, Pakistan, and the Pakistan bowling unit, the Pakistan team of Abrazam and the bowling unit they've got. Ridiculous. Virat Kohli getting a hundred for the first time in a long time. Rohit Sharma, proper, proper India side. And Sri Lanka go and win. Well done, Chris Silverwood. I'm over the moon for him. Um, and you know, fingers crossed. Hopefully, people in England you know, realise you know, what a difficult time it was for Chris Silverwood. Well, a good job he did to keep things going, um, and he is a fantastic coach. You know me and my late order runs, Tommy. The one thing that made the Sri Lanka victory even sweeter was that they were 57 for six. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, bowlers, yeah, some bowlers can bat. I say that as a man who averaged 131 at the Oval when we just played a test match there, only beaten by Steve Smith. 
better than Don Bradman. So I can actually talk about batting this week when the game was at the Oval. I got that. I got that stat given to me when I was on stage the other day. Uh, I didn't know it, but boy, I'm going to use it from now on every time we go to the Oval. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know whether you got any messages from anybody. I, I got a few um, after last week's show. Um, after the show and uh, saying that you and I must have uh, have enough egg on our faces uh, to make, uh, you know, a, a large omelette um, with Alex Hales uh, being named as Johnny Bairstow's replacement in the T20 squad. We said that there was no chance of that happening. So, um, and great, fantastic. Yep, we got it wrong. Um, that's absolutely fine. I just wanted to ask you a question here. And um, to me, his recall owed more to Ben Stokes than to anyone else. And I know I'm reading between the lines, and I could well have got this wrong as well, but I just got the impression, because it took 48 hours um, for him to be named, and obviously there's a, a huge relationship issue um, between Stokes and, and Hales after what happened in 2017. Uh, Stokes felt very let down, and, and um, we know that Rob Key made a number of phone calls, one of which was to Ben Stokes, and I, I don't know this at all, obviously, uh, but I just, I, I get the impression if Ben Stokes said, it's him or me, if he'd said that, he'd say, yeah, sure, yeah, pick him, but I'm not, then, you know, I'm, re I'm withdrawing from the squad, then he wouldn't have been selected. And, um, you know, Stokes was asked in the press conference before the test match about Hales's recall. He asked whether he'd spoken to him, uh, to Hales, and uh, he said, we, ha we share the same goal, and that's to win World Cups. You know, and there's an old saying in, in team sport, isn't there? You, you don't have to have dinner with all your teammates. No, 100%. I didn't have dinner with too, much, too many of my teammates, so, you know, in the latter part. Um, no, I, I agree with that, um, that Stokes is, it's not the bigger man, it's just the common goal is, you know, we work together. You know, we don't have to socialise, we work together. We've got the right thing. I'll, I'll be, in 2005, because everybody harps back, back to 2005, we beat the best team that's arguably in my lifetime that's ever played the game. There was a few of them didn't get on <laughs> and that came out subsequently. But at the time, you would never have thought that because you took on 1-11 to Australia and then you took the nation on. So I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that we, we, we sort of should have egg on our face with the messages that we got. We were reacting to, well, we don't see him fitting in here. Johnny Bairstow, he doesn't fit in. The minute Johnny Bairstow gets injured, he fits in. Because he is the he is the most natural replacement for Johnny in that team, which means the game plan doesn't change. It means the way the outlook of the team goes about their business doesn't change. So what we were reacting off was once they've picked that squad, there's no well, when they're gonna pick that squad, Bestow's just showing at the top. No, there's no room for Alex Hills. Now there is. We're never questioning his ability. A bit like the Ollie Robinson one. Not quite as bad as Ollie Robinson when it comes to off the field, but it's a bit like the Ollie Robinson one. If he gets his head down and gets himself in a position to fall in line with the group and be the ambassador that England needed to be, no problem, Alex Hills, whatsoever. Boy's got talent, ridiculous talent. If he starts bringing outside influences into the game, which is putting pressure on the team, then he becomes a liability. Ollie Robinson has been fantastic this summer because he's looked himself in the mirror and told himself, if I do this, which is positive for me, I will be an unbelievable cricket for the next five years. If I go the negative route, I won't play another five days for England. 
I think Ollie Robinson's got a few years, more than a few years to come, the one that we see now. Alex Hills is in the same boat. He needs to look himself in the mirror and say, do I really want to play for England? If I do, I've got a chance here. Don't blow it, please. Alex, don't blow it because I've got no problem with your ability. The rest of it is all in your court. And if you do want to play cricket for England for a long period of time, it's up to you. Another man who's been looking in the mirror is Australian white ball captain Aaron Finch, who decided on the back of uh, a 3-0, uh, well, actually, it was 2-0 at the time against New Zealand in uh, the Chapel Hadley Trophy Series. Um, but uh, it was time to call call it a day in uh, the 50-over format. This is what he had to say. Well, I think still being a bit over 12 months out from the 50-over the World Cup, I thought the timing was right now. I could have tried to play another series, the, the series against England post-World Cup, and... That would have been a bit of a fairytale finishing at the MCG, but that's never been my style to be self-indulgent in any kind of way. So I think it's important that whoever takes over the captaincy from from now, uh, whoever opens the batting from now, is, is giving given the best opportunity to take the team forward and win the World Cup in 2023. I, I'm very comfortable and very confident that I wouldn't have made it that far just with my body and everything as, as well as a bit of form as well, that, that probably plays into it a bit. But I think at the end of the day, to give as much much space to a new leader to start to form the team the way that they want to play uh, and they want to lead the team, I think that's that's really important. So three extra games and a few more series is, is important to do that. So uh, Australia's white ball captain Aaron Finch, who's had enough of uh, 50 over cricket. You do just wonder, Harmy, uh, very quickly, I mean, you look at his scores over the last 12 months and he's, he's shorter runs in both formats and you just wonder whether, it, you know, it might have been his Owen Morgan moment. Um, and, and, you know, if the T20 World Cup wasn't in Australia in a couple of months' time, I mean, he, on form and on recent results, he doesn't merit his his place in, in either team but he's an extremely popular man and um, and I think he, he's well respected around the world uh, so um, you can't begrudge him I guess you know hanging on and uh, almost certain that uh, he'll he'll bow out of international cricket depends how the T20 World Cup goes I suppose I mean if he makes some runs but it, it does look like the end of the road really yeah a little bit like a bit like Owen but a lot like Owen as well the guy is a great ambassador for the game Aaron Finch is a great man he really is I've met him once or twice um, I've got a huge admiration for him he says the right thing which is the honest thing at the time he doesn't sugarcoat anything you know, he doesn't hide anything he doesn't try and make excuses will he go out after the T20 World Cup probably if he doesn't perform if he does perform he's still a, a, a huge asset for for that team um, and he, he is a natural leader. He's a good leader, a good leader of men. Time will tell whether he carries on or not. A lot of clamour for people talking about Smith and Warner with their captain. I think Smith and Warner will finish one-day cricket as well because of the likes of Ben Stokes and one or two others who are finishing because of workload. Um, I'd be very, very surprised if, if Australia go back to, to Smith or Warner to captain their 50-over side because I think 50-over cricket, we're going to see a lot of players retire from that format over the course of the next 12 months. Rapidly running out of time. Uh, David Warner's 36, you know, why would you appoint him um, ODI exactly. captain? But but apart from that, if he was 31, the fact that Cricket Australia said that there was a lifetime ban on any leadership position for him after what transpired and Sampe Brigade at, uh, at Cape Town and, uh, and also just generally 
Um, the the view amongst professional cricketers around the world, and I've spoken to enough of them um, to know that there's a, a fairly common theme when it comes to to David Warner. Um, do do you think that, that it would be right for that ban to be lifted, just theoretically, and and for no. him to captain the team? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it would be a better foster in cricket if they kept that in place. As much as I don't have a problem with with David being a, a captain, um, but once you've once you've opposed that ban from a national board, I think it's very, very difficult to turn you to go back on it. I think your your credibility, you lose a little bit if you do that. There's nothing wrong with David Warner playing for his national team. Um, but to captain after what's what's the water that's gone under the bridge, I think you open yourself up to the levels of criticism and to where potentially could go um, that you don't need. You put pressure on the team that you don't need. Um, so why, like you say, he's 36-year-old. Um, he can carry on playing, but whether he carries on in a leadership role, I, I think that would be that would be wrong of Cricket Australia. The one thing I do hope he does, Stuart Broad touched on it at the end of his if he's if he's nice uh, positive sky piece is that Stuart Broad was very very complimentary towards Oliver Robinson in opening the bowling in this series, but he did just throw across a shot across Ben Stokes' bow that if David Warner comes across in the Ashes next year. <laughs> Holly Robinson will not be bowling, opening the bowling for England because Stuart Broad wants first crack at him. He did say that. He's put the marker down um, and that would be a great, that could be a great contest and end to great careers. Um, and I do say that very, very, without any sort of tongue in cheek because David Warner, he has polled opinions, but he's had a very, very, very good career. Finally, anybody who's uh, listened to, um, uh, to, the Creek Collective at the beginning of the of the season and at the end of the season knows how much uh, how big of fans we both are of the county championship and what a finish is building up. Hampshire beating Northamptonshire in dramatic fashion uh, just minutes before uh, their um, game was uh, or would have been washed out. So um, yeah, Hampshire and, and Surrey at the top of the table. Surrey have got a game in hand that's building up to. Uh, a fabulous climax. Um, but also wanted to ask you about Durham, um, set to be docked sixteen points. Um, because Nick Maddinson's bat, second oversized bat as a result of, you know, tape that has been applied to... I mean, it, again, I don't know what... It, just it, <laughs> what, If that had been a Surrey or a Hampshire batsman or a Middlesex batsman, would they have been... Do- 16 points. We're talking about a bit of tape on the bat. I keep thinking yeah. the bowler's got more to aim at. I've got to say, I've played, I've played Durham for 18 years. You could you could have the biggest bat you wanted. The wicket would do that much. I'd get the outside edge and I'd get it to nicked. Um, so somebody don't like Durham. We've been kicked and punched and we're still standing. We're not going away, CB. You're not going to get rid of us. Um, I know it's a long way to come for a lot of teams, but we're still going to be standing. We're still going to fight and you can dock with 16 points if you want. You won't break us. Um, I think it's ridiculous. But like you say, I don't think it would have happened if it had been Hampshire or Surrey. They're going for the championship. And in the next two weeks of the Creator Collective, we'll probably talk a lot more about county championship climax. Um, and I still think I still think Surrey have still got a great chance of winning, but what a result it was for Hampshire. And I know you're probably going to bring it up, but I want to say we're thinking of Nat Skiver, who has gone through some difficult times and recently stepped back from the game. Um, from somebody who knows it more than anybody, what it's like in touring life and touring world and the anxieties that you have, I'm sure she's got good people around her and I'm sure she'll get better. Um, and fingers crossed, we get 
are back very, very soon because you know, the women's game, not only the domestic women's game, hundreds and stuff like that need a, you know, the England women's cricket team need her as well. Tommy, I've been around a long time. You've been around uh, not quite as long. And I've seen too many cricketers pushing through, pushing on, the hollow eyes, the callow look. They're finished. They need a break. You know it. I've known it. And too many have not had the courage to say, I need a break and I'm, and I'm going to take one. And, um, and yeah, uh, over many years, too many have, uh, have, have not taken a break. And I'm absolutely delighted for, for Nat that she felt uh, comfortable enough to be in the position to say, I'm taking a break from the game. And, uh, yeah, that, that'll be our final thought for the week. Eh? Anybody who is professional cricketers we're talking about, but not only, not exclusively. I mean, the game can take a toll on you, even if you only play at weekends. You know, sometimes uh, if your family life is suffering or... Whatever it is, it's a, it's a it's a hard taskmaster. This game it takes a lot out of you. It's very rewarding. It gives you a lot, but it takes a lot too. It does take a lot, and that's what drives you to to be the best you possibly can be. But unfortunately, when things aren't going as 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 rosy, things can become a struggle. You have to be able to be honest enough with yourself, like we talked about in other ways in the game where the person has to look at that person in the mirror and be honest with that person. And if you're in trouble and you feel as though you've got nowhere to go, the hollow eyes, like you see, you've got to be able to talk to people. You've got to understand there are people out there that can help. And if you got injured, you'd go to a physio. If you're suffering from anxiety, depression, or anything like that, it's not a weakness, it's an illness. You go to your doctor, you go to people that know how to help when you do that, you come back a lot stronger and a lot better inside. It gives you a great feel, and that's what the game can do to you. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Army and I will be back at the same time next week, but for now... This has been another edition of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final... You can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.